Hello, my name is A.B. Ridgeway. I'm the host of Financial Advisor. Say the darndest things in my mom's favorite Christian financial advisor. As a certified private wealth advisor professional with over a decade in the financial industry, my goal is to help investors like you become rich in spirit and righteous in action. And like you, I've read all the get rich books like Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Awaken the Giant Within, and all the books that you could even imagine on self-help and finances. But there's one book that none of these gurus actually talk about, and it's the Bible. In the Bible, money and money management topics are actually the second most discussed after the kingdom of God. So if God felt it was important to mention in the Bible, I think it's very important in our lives. Now, there is this video called the 25 best money lessons from the Bible that work. And at the end, I'm going to show you how you can actually put these principles in action. Believe it or not, the Bible, the holy book of Christians, is one of the ultimate guides to wealth creation. In its 66 books, there are thousands of verses talking about money, how to save it, how to manage it, and even how to make the right investments. And the amazing part is that they're completely timeless. Yep, you got that right. Despite the ancient texts being written centuries ago, the wisdom from their financial lessons is still ripe and applicable to this very day. Today, we'll be telling you 25 of our favorite timeless money lessons from the Bible that will change the way you view money. There are way more than just 25 money verses in the Bible. It's estimated that there's 2,350 verses concerning money and money management in the Bible. So it's like, why don't we turn to the Bible and see what it says first before we go out there and buy all these books about finances and things of that nature? The Bible should actually be the source. And, and the crazy part about it is that a lot of people neglect some of these lessons because they come from the Bible. Unfortunately, if we would extract these scriptures, just gave it to them, they'll go, wow, this is so inspiring. Wow, this, this works so well, right? Number one, spend less than you earn. There's a quote from the book of Proverbs that says, Wealth quickly dwindles away, but amassed little by little, it grows. Right. Spending less than what you earn sounds super easy on paper, but the truth is that a lot of people find it difficult to do so. And can you even blame them? We live in a world where wants never seem to end. Over the years, we've been taught that we can and should buy what we want and when we want, right. regardless of the consequences. But haven't we lost the sight of the bigger picture? If you keep spending beyond your means to satisfy your desires, how are you going to change your financial situation? There simply wouldn't be enough left to make investments, savings, or unplanned expenses. And I love what he, he says here, what we were taught. But the question becomes, who were we taught by? And a lot of us can't pinpoint one person or another. We call that money script. So how you think about money and how you grew up is influenced by a multitude of individuals and not necessarily just one person or like maybe your mother or your father. But this is a cumulative. It says it takes a community to raise a child. The same thing about money and money management and how we see that in our own personal lives. Now, the principle here is very simple. Spend less than you earn. My dad used to say that as well. If you spend less then what you make, you'll always have money. Unfortunately, we've learned to live with society where we 
spend as much as we make. And that's where the term paycheck to paycheck comes from, is that our living expenses and how much we earn are eye to eye. And that means that we're just living from one income source to the next, one income to the next, one income to the next. And we're not leaving any room for any unplanned um, emergencies or things of that nature. So if we can break this cycle, as we said before, and we can actually create a gap, we can actually have some more financial freedom. Let's go, let's go on to the next one, which is actually number seven. Number seven, seek wise counsel. One of the most underrated financial lessons of the Bible is being in the midst of smart people. Whenever you make a bad financial decision, the odds are that you are either impulsive or that you didn't think things through with wise counsel. If you want to make it in life, you have to be around others who have financial wisdom. From books to meetings, research, podcasts, or even open dialogue. There are handfuls of ways to brainstorm and gain insight on any financial decision you're set to make. Remember the popular saying that two heads are better than one? Never hesitate to soak in knowledge from those who have succeeded in areas that you are going to be diving into. He didn't say this in the video, but actually number seven is related to Proverbs chapter 15 verse 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. And that's what Think and Grow Rich talks about, right? We talk about the mastermind group, getting together with other people that have the same chief definite aim, and you can learn off of each other. This is a biblical principle that God has instilled into you. But once again, these people have exchanged the free gospel for a measly price. And I'm not saying they're bad because there are some people who may not believe in the Bible that needs those lessons. But what I'm telling to you today as a Christian investor and as a good steward of God's wealth, you have a wealth of knowledge right at the tip of your hands if you would just open it up. Unfortunately, when we go to church, this is not what they're preaching. They're not preaching about how to grow your money. They're not teaching you how to preserve your money. They're not teaching you how to be good stewards of your money other than how to tithe. That's where I want to break the stigma around church and around your Bible and let you know that there are very valuable lessons that you can make thousands and thousands of dollars and help actually expand the kingdom of God. Let's be honest with ourselves for a second. There is no way we're going to be able to save, make healthy investments, or live below what we've got if we're not frugal. The Bible tells us to adequately use everything we've got at our disposal, whether it's time or money. Instead of being greedy, Proverbs also guides us on the guide to think like ants, who always make do with what they have and are careful to watch out for the winter season. If you are a spendthrift, draw up a pros and cons list to adequately gauge your wants and needs. Identify the things you can do without and stop spending way too much on them. You'll be amazed by how much you've been flushing down the drain. So, so here, I kind of disagree a little bit. Um, I don't really encourage people to be frugal because once again, we've always talked about our reference point. What is frugality in relationship to who you are personally? If you're making a million dollars is being frugal, spending only half a million dollars. Or if you have $10 is being frugal, only spending $1. So the question remains, what is this reference point? So for me, I don't really believe in living frugal, and I also don't believe in being a spendthrift either, meaning just spending your money uh, all willy-nilly. What I believe in is actually that golden mean. That golden mean is where we're still living underneath what we're able to, but then we're also not being so scarce that we forget to live the life that we need to because there's millionaires in the grave right now. Steve Jobs retired a billionaire. 
but he had a lot of unused money in his grave. Now, I'm not saying he didn't have a fulfilling life, but what I am saying is this. We don't want to just hoard money and just be frugal for the sake of hoarding. We want to use that money for the glory of God, maybe for our family, um, something outside of ourselves. So being frugal could sometimes be a mentality where we project on other people, where we go, I don't want to give you any money. I'm saving. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give. I don't want to share. I don't want to give to charity because I'm trying to financially make it. And he told me to be frugal, right? So we do want to extend out to what makes us comfortable but not so much that we ourselves become destitute because we find that too. We find that sometimes churches and, and other institutes will encourage giving to the point where the person now becomes the person who is in need. So we don't want to do that. We want to always be provided for, which God has already done for us. Okay. So if God can provide for the birds, which neither wheat nor harvest, that's actual biblical scripture as well, he can provide for us. But if we are constantly giving out, our money to other people where we become in need, then it becomes a problem because we're not being good stewards of God's wealth. Number 10, work hard for your money. Apart from being greedy, the Bible also preaches against being lazy. After all, if being lazy will never make you rich, why waste your time on it? If you want to make ends meet and build on it until you've created sustainable wealth, you'll have to work hard and persevere amidst the challenges. Take a look at this awesome verse from Proverbs 14.23. It says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. No matter how you think about it, mankind was made to work. When he placed Adam and Eve in the garden, he told them to cultivate the earth and multiply. Now, we've approached a society where we're just like, hey, I want to invest where I don't have to work, where I don't have to put any effort but what happens is we're putting our efforts in the wrong direction. What people are really saying is that I want to be able to choose where I work. We want our work to be our mission. And we want our mission to be our work. If we are working in a job where we feel that our mission or our purpose is not being fulfilled, we want to use that as a stepping stone to accumulate funds so we can actually fund the things that we want to do. Now, think about this. I tell people this like, well, I just want to relax and do what I want to do. I said, OK, perfect. Let's say that you have a million dollars or let's say that you have one hundred million dollars. You don't have to work anymore. Right. What are you going to do? And they say, well, I would lay down. It's like, okay, you can lay down now. What do you do after you lay down? Well, I would go visit family. It's like, okay, you can visit family now. Um, I would go on a lot of trips. Okay, you, what? how many trips would you like to go on? Would you like to go on 365 trips? Would you like to go on 10 trips? And it's like, well, I, I don't know. It's like, well, these are your goals. These are things that you want to get accomplished in his life. And you don't have to sacrifice working. You don't have to sacrifice community. You don't have to sacrifice going out there and being a part of something very special and actually giving to those who are in need as well. You can't just talk about it. You have to actually do something. And that's why we encourage you to take the wealth that you've accumulated through your work, pay your expenses, keep them as low as possible, then invest so you can multiply that income. So what people do, they try to take their investments and use that only to multiply their their livelihood, neglecting the fact that you can still work a nine to five. You can still have your own business. You need income to come in that we have to multiply. Compound interest is great, but only to a certain extent. If you have one dollar and I don't care if you make 50 percent in the market, that's only a dollar fifty. Is that a lot of money? But if you continuously put money in, you put a hundred, two hundred, a thousand, you know, two thousand dollars into your investment, that compound interest is actually going to make a mark uh, or make a dent into your uh, financial plan. Number 23, make a financial plan. 
Do you remember one of our earlier points on making financial plans for the future? This lesson is about the present. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Believe it or not, making robust financial plans for the present lays the groundwork for future wealth. Never fail to be disciplined when it comes to managing your money and have plans on how your paycheck could diligently lead to profit. Now, this is great. And you know, I love a, a good financial plan. Uh, one of the misconceptions about a financial plan is that it's something that is structured. Unfortunately, it's not necessarily structured for general purposes. It is really custom made to the individual, meaning that we take your top three goals and we customize a financial plan around that. Now, the inputs, you know, your mortgage, you know, your expenses, your income, all the data points are consistent. But how we interpret that data to make better financial decisions is all determined on your financial plan. If you want to save money for your child's college education, then we're going to take that data and figure out how we can make extra money in order to fund that goal. If you want to travel, if you want to spend your retirement in a new vacation home on the beach, we take those data points once again, figure out where we have excess money, where we can invest and where we can redirect those dollars so you can fulfill your goal. So the financial plan is not this restrictive idea where it's a budget and you can't spend, you can't do anything. It's actually the opposite. It's a spending plan. Like where can we redirect the dollars that are slipping out of our accounts and point them into the direction so we can have a fulfilling life? Once again, money is the second most talked about topic in the Bible behind the kingdom of God. So so God obviously felt that talking about money was very important. Step one, spend less than you make. Write down all your income for the month. Then take your bank statement and write down the total expenses. Subtract from your expenses, including payments to credit cards, from your income and see what number you have. If you have a positive number, that number is available to save for short-term emergencies or invest for long-term growth. Let someone review your budget. See if you're being too lenient on yourself. Sometimes it's easy to fool ourselves that we need DoorDash to be delivered five days out of seven because we are just too tired at the moment. Seek the golden mean. The dumbest way to prove you have money is to spend it. We see it all the time. People buy cars and houses to prove to their friends and to strangers of all people on social media that they have money. What we need to do is actually find a balance between making money, spending on the things you enjoy, and still leaving money on the side to spend at a later date. We consider that pushing your purchasing power into the future. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. The most blessed actions are the ones that are done consistently, even if in small amounts. My grandfather told my dad, never do anything for a woman that you can't keep up. You may love a woman. But it's better to give her a single rose every day and be consistent than 365 flowers on one day and never do it again. Same with your finances. Don't rush to save $1,000 in your budget and next month, nothing. Find a number you can do consistently and, and build upon that to bigger and higher numbers. Finally, make a financial plan. Unfortunately, the body is programmed. If we talk about what we're doing, the body doesn't know if you're really doing it or not because the same chemicals are being released whether you imagined it or you actually did it. That's why when you like a girl, just thinking of her makes your heart flutter as if you really saw her. 
Same with finances. If you just sit and discuss about how much you're going to do and never do it, your plans will fail. So create a financial plan, even if it's as simple as save $10 this month and do it. And actually sit down and do it. Don't make your financial plan so elaborate that you do nothing. If you need help planning for your retirement and don't know where to start, you can always go to www.abrwealthmanagement.com where we'll help Christian investors like you become good stewards of God's wealth. You can download this free ebook where we'll get you started on account types, savings, debt management, uh, investing, wealth transfers, all from a Christian perspective. You just go to the website, click on free Christian ebook, and it's yours. The only thing we ask of you is give us your name and where to send it, and it's yours. Well, I hope that you've been blessed today. My name is A.B. Ridgeway, and I'll see you on the other side of your blessing. Elijah One Ridgeway is an investment advisor representative and owner of A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management, LLC, a registered investment advisor which produces a podcast show and makes it available on his website and through other distribution channels. Elijah One Ridgeway and any guests on the podcast are providing their own views and opinion are not necessarily the views and opinions of A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management. Nothing on the podcast should be construed as solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any specific security. Investment advisory services are only provided to investors who become A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management client pursuant to a written investment management agreement. Clients of A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management may hold positions and securities discussed in the podcast. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk and may lose money. Financial advisors say the Darnest Team podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for any investment decisions. Instead, please consult a financial advisor, accountant, attorney, and or conduct your own due diligence.